Pastor Bill started sometime back in the book of Acts. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And we'll pick up exactly where we left off last week in verse 42. And we're going to look tonight at the thriving, thriving in the local church. Thriving in the local church. And I would say for many of us, these, these verses are, are pretty familiar. But we're going to walk through them rather slowly tonight to really take in everything that uh, God has for us. Again, these are not uh, the words of the Apostle Paul. These are the words of the Savior. All Scripture is God-breathed. I mean, uh, all is given by inspiration of God. It means it's God-breathed. Uh, these are God's words, and he has preserved them. And there's something in every one of these verses for us as believers or for those that are lost. And so um, we're going to read these things knowing that God can speak to us through his spirit and through his word and uh, certainly to us as a church. And that's really a good bit of the focus tonight, the, the, the early church thriving in the local church. So verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house. Thank you for the, all the ministry that's taking place in this building this evening, even across the internet waves. Again, Lord, may you be glorified in all of this. Uh, may we be helped. May we be instructed through your word. Uh, may we be here tonight expecting to hear something from you. Challenge us. Show us areas of our lives, whether corporately as a church or individually as believers, that uh, you want to change, to help, help to make us more like Christ. And Father, may we be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. May we just simply say yes, Father, to whatever it is you would lay on our hearts. Lord, we do love you and uh, ask you to bless our time together. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So a quick summary from last week, at least the applications that we closed with last week as well as I want to look briefly at some of the verses we looked at last week, just to bring it back into context and into remembrance. And I'd like to review previous week's applications because I think it's so easy for us at times just to forget these things. And and hopefully you'll leave here tonight thinking about the things that I'll challenge you to do at the end of this message or Pastor Bill's message. But if you don't write them down, if you're like me, they evaporate very quickly, oftentimes before I get into my car out there. And so last week, as we looked at the passages, uh, verse 37 to 41, and I just want to read those real quick, because it leads into the context of what we're looking at tonight. So Peter had preached this amazing message at Pentecost, and uh, he made it very clear that those that were hearing the message were in sin, they were sinners in need of a Savior. They were in trouble. They had crucified the Messiah. Many of them that, that day that were there when Peter preached probably were saying on the night of that false trial, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And Peter, who cowered in the, in the shadows as he denied the Lord, now is filled with the Spirit of God and he is boldly proclaiming the message. And he said, you were the ones that sent him into the cross. 
And it wasn't just them. It was us. It was Peter himself. It was the apostles, their sin that put him there. But he preached this amazing message. And the, the folks were convicted. And verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and your children and all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls." So those are the verses that we looked at last week, and we expounded upon a number of points there. But the application at the end of the message was respond immediately when the Spirit brings conviction. Respond immediately when the Spirit brings conviction. Lord, what should I do? What should I do based on what you've made known to me in my life? And so that should be something not just for the lost person that comes under conviction and cries out for a Savior, but every day when we fall short and we damage that fellowship we have with our Lord, uh, Lord, what should I do? And so, again, as believers, we know we confess, we repent, we ask for forgiveness, and we get back into moving in that uh, hopefully ever forward march toward Christ-likeness as he works in our lives. Secondly, we said embrace the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Embrace the Holy Spirit's presence. Give him more of yourself. Uh, we don't need any more of the Holy Spirit. When we got saved and he came and took a residence in our lives, we got all of him. Again, I used the illustration of marriage last week. I didn't get my wife on installments. I got all of her the day that her father gave her to me at that altar. And then when the pastor asked, Steve, will you take Chris to be your lawfully wedded wife? I got all of her. So give more of yourself to him. Sometimes we hold back. And so we need to give more of ourselves to the Spirit. And we talked about being walked walking with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, etc. So embrace the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Again, apart from salvation, the Holy Spirit is such an amazing gift for us. Uh, We need him every single day. He will guide us. He will direct us. He will control us. He will empower us. He will work through us. We need his presence. Embrace that presence. Then the last thing we looked at was embrace and model biblical forgiveness. Uh, Restore fellowship quickly. When we sin against the Lord... Go to him, confess, repent, ask for forgiveness, restore that fellowship quickly, bring him, again I used the illustration last week, bring him out of the back room and put him front and center in your life. He's in control, he's on the throne, he calls the shots, we submit to him. But also do that with others that we're in a relationship with, those are so important for us and critical. Uh, Don't allow the enemy to cripple you with guilt uh, for sin that the Spirit of God has already been forgiven, that's part of that embracing and modeling biblical forgiveness. He will try to do anything he can to keep us from moving forward, but to keep us right where we're at and embrace the promise of forgiveness. And we expanded upon that last week about when we say, yes, I forgive you, we're making a promise. We're forgiving as God, who for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. We're choosing not to remember that sin against them any longer because it's been covered. Uh, We're not bringing it up to them. We're not bringing it up to somebody else. We're not bringing it up to ourselves. And, um, that is difficult, but it is a promise that God enables us to do. And so, again, I'm not going to re-preach that, but, again, I just those were the applications. Embrace those and say, Lord, help me to live this out. That's how you'll get the, the most out of these messages that, uh, that Pastor Bill preaches here on a weekly basis. So, verse 42, where we'll begin tonight. 
Verse 42 begins, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So I want you to, first off, notice those two words, continued steadfastly. And they continued steadfastly. This is so important. These people had just made an incredible decision to trust Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary as forgiveness for their sins. Nothing else was needed. A priest was not needed. An offering was not needed to be taken to the temple. They were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary alone for their salvation. Even when Peter made it very clear that they were guilty for sending Jesus to that very cross. But they had repented. They had been forgiven. They had followed the Lord in believers' baptism. And they publicly declared their allegiance to the one true Messiah. And it would possibly and probably did cost them almost everything. Their families, their standing in the Jewish community, their ability to go in and out and worship at the synagogue, their livelihood. And so they continued. And they continued steadfastly. To continue steadfastly means to persevere, to endure, to stick to it, to persist. And these new believers endeavored not to quit, not to look back, not to fade away, not to slip back to where they were, but they continued onward and forward. And that's a great lesson for us. Many times as a year comes to an end and you start thinking of the new year and you're thinking about resolutions, one of the popular things that people do today, and I've, I've not necessarily set out to do this, but the Lord's kind of worked it out this way where they think of a theme word for the year. And, um, and it helps keep them focused on, on how, what they want to focus on in, in, the, in the new year. I would say if you're, gonna, if you're looking for a word for 2023... Let it be continue. Continue. They continued steadfastly. Such a powerful thing there. A number of verses in the Bible reinforce this concept. So let's look at a few of them. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. The Bible says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap. We shall reap if we faint not. Have you, have you grown weary of doing well, looking around and see, seeming as if you're the only one that's still continuing, you're the only one that's working hard, you're the only one that is showing up to do certain things, and, and um, it can get discouraging, and our focus turns inward, and we start worrying about ourselves. The Bible says, the challenge here is, let us not be weary in well-doing. Let us continue, let us continue on Steadfastly. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. A couple of great verses here that are, are very motivating to me, have helped me in my Christian walk. Proverbs 24 and verse 16, the Bible says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The reality is the Christian life is hard. There are times where we're going to fall. We're going to fall short of what we know pleases the Lord, what we know we should be doing. But the Bible says, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. So you may fall this week. You may fall tonight. You may say something that 
The Spirit of God is telling you in the moment, don't say that. And you end up saying it anyways. And you hurt someone you love and you fall. Get back up. Continue steadfastly. Own it. Confess it. Repent of it. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the person that you sinned against to forgive you. And keep moving forward. How about Psalm 37? A similar passage. Psalm 37, verse 23. The Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Amen. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Uh, The reality is all of us at some point are going to fall. None of us are going to live a perfect, sinless Christian life. We're going to fall short of God's glory. And um, the devil's going to say, don't even think of getting up, because what's the use? You're just going to fall again tomorrow. So just give up. Don't even try anymore. Again, that is a a deceptive wile or trick of the devil. Uh, And we respond to his lies with truth. And the truth says that um, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. When he falls, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So we get up. We keep moving forward. About Philippians 3 and verse 14 familiar verse that some of you probably have memorized. You'll know it when I say it. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Press on, brothers and sisters. When it gets difficult, when you get discouraged, when the enemy attacks, when it seems like everyone's against you, press on. Continue steadfastly. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Another great verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So be steadfast. Continue steadfastly. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever relationship he has put you in, whatever ministry he has given you to do, continue steadfastly. That's what these new believers in the early church did, they continued steadfastly. And it says four things here. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so I want to look at that. And let's look at truth, a tie, the table, and the throne. Those are the four things that we see here in verse 42. So first off, the early church was marked by the truth as they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The Holy Spirit had promised uh, to the, uh, that, that when Christ left and the Spirit of God came and began to indwell believers, that the Spirit would help the apostles remember all of the teachings that Christ had, had shared with them over the, his, his years of earthly ministry, that uh, the Spirit of God would open their minds and their hearts to a proper understanding of what Christ's ultimate purpose was. Again, even the night of crucifixion, they were still so confused about what was going to happen or what Christ was even talking about and arguing about who was going to be the greatest among them on the very night that Christ would be crucified or at least convicted leading into the next day. And they still didn't understand, but the Spirit of God would come and open their their understanding to to all of this. Not just the things that Christ taught, but the things of the Old Testament. they're, They're beginning to see how this comes together. Just like when Jesus was on that Emmaus Road and he opened the eyes of those who were traveling and trying to figure all those things that had happened. And so now the Spirit of God is working through the apostles so that they could share 
doctrine. They could share teaching that was so important for these young, new believers to understand and to embrace and to ultimately live out. And so the apostles began to share these things, doctrine, teaching of the truth of the word to all those that would hear. It was critically important for young believers then, as well as young believers now, to be firmly grounded and rooted in the faith. And so the apostles taught them doctrine. Look at Romans six seventeen. This is a verse that's always been, again, very helpful to me in my life, especially around this idea of doctrine. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Again, I like the word were there. You're not any longer. You're not a slave. We're not, as born-again believers, we're not, we are not enslaved to our sin. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. And so again, there's a lot going on here. Uh, they, were, they obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, teaching on the truth of the word of God that was delivered you. So it was delivered to them. So I guess the way I have this written down in my Bible and the way I think about it is simply this. And maybe you just want to jot this down and think on it and meditate on it and dwell on this. But learn it, love it, live it. Learn it, love it, live it. That's the outline of Romans 6.17. Another way of saying that would be head, heart, hand. So it describes when doctrine is taught, how ultimately is grasped. It is first grasped intellectually. We have to hear it and we process what's being said through the minds that God has given us. And ultimately the design, especially of the truth of scripture, is to not stay in our heads, but it's to transfer down to our hearts. And so the, the truth of the word of God moves from our head to our heart where it becomes real and it becomes something that we fall in love with and something that we, we know we need. And then ultimately, because it's there in our hearts, it begins to work itself out, outward, out of our inward heart and into our hands or into our life or into the lives of others. You've probably heard someone say in the past, and, and I understand why they say it. I think they're probably even well-meaning in saying it, but they say, well, if you don't have any convictions, just take some of mine. You ever heard anybody say that? It's dangerous to say that because you're saying it doesn't matter that you really understand it or it's embedded in your heart. Just do what I do. Believe what I believe. And according to the word of God, we need to process what we hear. And the Lord will, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will move it into our hearts and ultimately move it out of us to live it out. And so we're doing it, we're, we're doing it out of love. We're not doing it out of just someone said I needed to do this because someone else is going to come along and say you need to do something else. And if they're more charismatic or, or a better communicator or whatever, we'll follow that. And so, again, doctrine is so important, and that's one of the reasons that, that uh, the apostles are so interested and um, active and excited about sharing it and encouraging them to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. When I think about doctrine, and I think about my own personal experience, my personal growth in Christ in this place here, and, and my growth was much beyond just Columbia Road Baptist Church, but my personal growth in Jesus Christ, as I look back over the 35 years almost that I've been part of this church, occurred more in an adult Sunday school class or on a Sunday night or on a Wednesday night like, like what we're going through tonight than it ever did on a Sunday morning. 
Now, I'm not trying to downplay the importance of a Sunday morning service. Again, I think you all know me better than that. Uh, it is very important, but it tends to be much more evangelistic than these other services that are much more focused on how believers go from point A to point B in their, in their Christian walk, how we ultimately become more and more like Christ. And uh, that's, in my life, that's where the important doctrines of the faith were taught and where they took root and where they were grounded and then where I was challenged to live them out in my life. And so it's important, especially when we're talking about this early church here in Acts chapter 2, it's important that we come to this church and we get taught doctrine and we get grounded in doctrine and we get challenged to, to faithfully live that out. So praise God, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. But not only that, they continued steadfastly in fellowship. Uh, Verse 42. The early church was marked by a tie that bound them together in Christian fellowship. They continued steadfastly in that fellowship. There was a, a newfound, deeply spiritual love that they had for each other. And it, and it played out in, in a number of distinct ways that we'll see even later in this verse and continuing on in the book of Acts. But they were certainly united in fellowship. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. How do we, again, the Bible gives us a lot of tests to prove that we truly have been born again into the family of God. And one of those tests is here in verse 14 of chapter, 1 John chapter 3. It says, we know that we have passed from death unto life, Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, Do you consider, and I know it's a small gathering in this room tonight, is this your family? I mean, we love our our blood family. I love my blood family. When I moved to the Cleveland area many years ago, we didn't have any blood family up here. Columbia Road became my family. And um, I, I am so thankful that God has put me here and there is a profound, something that only the Spirit of God can fully um, work in us and even cause us to understand, but the profound love that we have for each other. And again, I hope you feel that. We don't necessarily, we're not all the same. We each have our own little idiosyncrasies. There's probably things I do that annoy you. There's probably some, some things that you all do that annoy me. But again, I don't make that the issue. The issue is we love each other. We're part of the family of God. We're united together. And we we go out together as a family serving our Lord. And so this glorious work of the indwelling Holy Spirit causes us to enjoy fellowship. The Spirit of God creates a a spiritual union as he melts and he molds the hearts of believers together with others. And so we become attached to each other. Uh, Again, even more so at times than blood family. And... The Spirit of God gives us one life and one sense of purpose. Look at, uh, in your blue hymnals, number 124. A hymn that we sing from time to time. I thought it was a good, really good in a number of ways for this message tonight. Hymn number 124, blessed be the tie that binds. Verse 1, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds, is like to that above. I would sing it, but I would annoy you with you know, my lack of skill or lack of gifting in that area. I don't want to do that either. But uh, blessed be the tie that binds. They continued steadfastly 
in fellowship. Again, the implied thought is, how are we doing? How are we doing as a church there? How am I doing individually and contributing to that? Thirdly, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. And so the early church was marked by the table. Uh, They continued in the breaking of bread, which is a reference to the Lord's Supper. Our Lord's, one of his last requests before he went to the cross was simply this, as he introduced what we call the Lord's Supper that night with the disciples in the upper room. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. And so the early disciples included this practice, this ordinance, as it's become in our churches uh, from the very beginning of the early church. These people were just saved in just the verse or two before, and they continued steadfastly in this. It's now also has its companion ordinance of baptism, and again, we saw that demonstrated in last week's message. And uh, in baptism, we show our death with Christ, and also we make known the fact that we are publicly identifying with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, again, which was very risky, but necessary for even this early church to do, as this is for us today. And when the bread is broken, when we take the Lord's Supper together, we remember, we reflect upon his death for us. And so we just did that two weeks ago on a Sunday evening. And it's important for the church to do that often in remembrance of him. We need to continue steadfastly observing the Lord's Supper. And then the fourth thing we see in verse 42 It says, and in prayers. The early church was marked by the throne, the throne of grace. They continued steadfastly in prayers. The name of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven opened an enormous amount of opportunities for this early church to pray. Still, as they were trying to piece it all together, they had to go to their their Lord who was now seated at the right hand of the Father, to ask him to guide them through the many nuances of this new life that they found themselves in. No longer was it necessary for them to go to an intermediator, intermediary. They didn't have to go to the priest and bring their request to him. They could go directly to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who, as the Bible tells us, ever exists to ever make intercession for him, for us. What a great blessing. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly, confidently, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The other two verses, if you're still on hymn 124, Blessed be the tie that binds, verse 2 and 3 says, Before our Father's throne, we pour out our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. Again, that speaks of unity and fellowship in prayer with the Lord. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. So obviously, there's a lot going on just in this first verse that we've only gotten to in this passage up to this point. Um, It talks about life in the early church, and it talks about what it takes to thrive in in the local church. And so it challenges us, it should challenge us to ask questions again, corporately as well as individually, are we continuing steadfastly? Are we teaching, embracing, and living out doctrine? Is that central in our church? Is it central in my life? Am I seeking that out 
even apart from the four walls of this church? Are we fellowshipping as God intended, corporately and individually? Are we taking the time to adequately remember him through the Lord's Supper? Are we doing it often as we are challenged to do? Are we corporately praying? I think it's wise to examine, again, a verse like this from both corporate as well as individual standpoint. And Lord, show us where we fall short. I think if, if we truly have that attitude, really in any message that's being preached, uh, Lord, show me where I'm coming up short to what I hear in your word. And Lord, help me to respond to your leading of the Holy Ghost in those messages to say, okay, Lord, with your help, this is going to change in my life. And so again, there's a lot to be found for us there in verse 42. Let's move on to verse 43. And the Bible says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostle. So the behavior of the early church becomes evident. Their boldness, their bravery, their faithfulness, uh, the fact that they had Holy Spirit power now. It caused others, those who were without, those who were observing these things, it caused them to fear God, to fear his judgment that uh, had been played out before them, and to have a proper awe and reverence uh, for who God is, the amazing power that he had, the majesty that he bestowed. And the early church and the members that the Holy Spirit was working through demonstrated this for people to see. Again, to me, that's a convicting thought as I step back and think of our church. What does our community say about how we live out? Do we instill fear in those around us? As a church and as individuals, we're commanded to be holy. First Peter 1.16 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The early church was holy, set apart, and people noticed it. And it wasn't the holier-than-thou attitude or that I'm better than you are attitude. It was we've set apart our lives to do what the Lord has called us to do, and we can still reach out in love and, again, cause people to have a proper fear of God. So the Holy Spirit was working boldly through the apostles and these early believers. Signs and wonders, it talks about, that were being carried out. They were uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, and that caused many to take notice. They had power. The early church had power. The individuals had power. It was almost as if Jesus was still walking the streets of Jerusalem, performing many miracles once again, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, words to the dumb, healing people from impossible diseases that they had, raising the dead to life, casting out demons, and on and on as we read through the book of Acts. And he was. But now he was doing it through his people who had been born again, who that he and dwelt with his power. Again, let it be, let the same be said of us as a church. Verse 44, And all that believed were together and had all things in common. The early church was a true body of believers. Each member was caring for and nourishing the other members. And they carried out this loving care. It was actually an answer to Jesus' prayer request. Look at John 17. John 17 and verse 21. Jesus says, That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So the way the disciples and the, these believers were now living out their newfound faith under the power of the Holy Spirit was an answer to the prayer request that Jesus offered up to the Father back there in John. There was a mutual caring and concern for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. They loved the Lord, and because they loved the Lord, they loved each other. And it was genuine love for each other. They also loved those that were without. Again, they weren't looking down their nose, but they loved them, realizing they needed to understand and to grasp the same truths that they did that led to their salvation. Verse 45, it says, And sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. So what's going on here? I mean, is this Christian communism that's being displayed here, being proposed? And I would say absolutely not. There is a great difference. In years past, communists would even use these verses in Acts chapter 2 to try and promote their political views for, for their cause and their push for communism. But it falls wo- woefully short. In fact, it's interesting just to think that a communist would even turn to, a godless communist would even turn to the Bible to try and support some sort of view that they had. But uh, the sharing of possessions and uh, the, the things that the, the early church believers had, their resources, uh, was motivated by the Holy Spirit and was an act of the will based upon love. It was not forced upon them against their will. Again, I've, I've heard in the news even the past couple of weeks how China is, communist China is locking down again with COVID and it's forced lockdowns and people are being arrested if they leave their house. And, you know, people needing medical care that's not COVID related have even died because they're, they're not allowed to travel out of their home. Communism has always been about forcing someone to do things against their will. The disciples embraced the sharing of their possessions and their resources because they genuinely loved the Lord and because they genuinely loved each other. And if someone was suffering, they wanted to step up and to uh, meet the needs if they were able to do that. Many years ago, an open-air preacher was being heckled by a communist that was in the crowd. And about that time, a drunken, derelict man staggered by. He was clothed in rags and he was barely able to stand. And the communist that was in the, in the crowd shouted out, he said, given the opportunity, communism would put a new suit on that man. What does your Christianity do for him? Undaunted by that, that verbal attack, the preacher said, given the opportunity, Christ would, Christ would put a new man in that suit. And that's the secret to the mutual sharing in the early church. There was no gov- this was not a governmental program that uh, Peter is, Paul is writing this, uh, Peter had preached that message. No, this was the body of Christ at work. This is the hand caring for the foot, the ear caring for the eye, etc. Just as the Lord intended. This was love. It was not law. It was compassion. It was not compulsion. The communists may have had a noble idea at face value, but it always breaks down because it leaves God out and it relies on force to carry it out. Verse 46. Again, we get this beautiful word continually. 
And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So once again, we have that great word, continuing. Continuing daily. Christianity and the ministry of the local church is not just a Sunday and a Wednesday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's not just in the temple, but it's everywhere from house to house. They sought out gathering with the saints, uh, again, whether at the temple or whether in someone else's home. And this spills over into every area of our lives also. Again, think about it. Many of these early believers lost everything. They lost the care of their families. They lost uh, families who disowned them because they turned their back on, on uh, the Jewish religion and embraced Christ as the Messiah. It was so important for them to do this and to fellowship this way. And so they gathered together and they encouraged each other and they loved each other and they shared with each other. Life for believers is not compartmentalized. Uh, we, we can't have our spiritual and our secular. No, that, those need to be completely blurred. Again, not just a Sunday, Wednesday thing, but it's in every 24-7 365 lived out every day in our life. There really should be no distinction. Christian life and the life of the saints that compromise the church is to be lived out, whether you're at church, whether you're at home, on the job site, in the schoolhouse, driving in North Homestead or on the interstate or all these other things where we're challenged to live out what we believe. And then finally, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So it says they were praising God. I guarantee that the lives of those that made up the early church was not easy. It was difficult, but they were happy. They were joyful. They were praising the Lord. There was no complaining. There was no criticizing. There was was no envy. There was no strife. The Spirit of God was evident. And what was present were the fruits of the Spirit that was working out through them, love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And this caused them to have favor with all the people. Think about it. What an attractive group of believers it was. An excited group of young believers praising God. And as they praised God and lived this way before a lost world, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily, such such as should be saved. So it was the Lord that added to the church, and he's been doing it ever since. And he will continue to do it until he won't. Until the rapture comes, until the trumpet sounds, and all the believers are, are taken up to be with the Lord forevermore, and then the adding will stop. And the next age will take place. And uh, the message for us is make sure we're ready. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, make sure you're ready. Because there is a time when all this comes to an end. So here's a couple of applications as we wrap things up here tonight. The first off, as you could probably guess, is simply continue. Continue. Press on. Stay faithful. Keep serving. Um, Again, we're not a big group here tonight. But uh, a number of you have been around just as long or longer than I have. Um, I can't tell you how much it encourages me to see Larry stand up here and lead music on a Wednesday night or to see Barb or Joan. Yeah, we're, we're there. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Play the piano. Or Jim and Laurel and 
Linda and Marvin continue, and Ron and Chris and Nancy. I've gotten all the older, and Freddie. <laughs> That's everybody, right? I've gotten all of us older folks, all of us, uh, um, what's the Bible say? Hoary heads, you know, gray, silver-haired. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm encouraged because I see all of you continuing and continuing steadfastly. And we don't have the same energy that maybe we had 10 years ago, 20 years ago. We don't, our voices aren't the same, right? Our memories aren't the same. But God still has us here, has, has you all here. And uh, you're an encouragement to our younger folks. Um, as long as I have breath, I'll continue to do what I can to, to point that out, to say, hey, Praise God, we have so many faithful servants who have served for decades and are still serving and are still continuing on and are still doing the things that God has called them to do. And it may look different, it will look different as we continue to get older. But until God calls us home, until we breathe our last breath, that means we have ministering to do, we have serving to do, we have changing and growing to do. And so the younger folks that are in here, be encouraged as you look around. I'm not trying to, to elevate them and, and get down on you, but just be thankful that there's so many. Maybe you have godly heritage of parents who have faithfully served the Lord for decades. Be thankful for that. Um, again, continue. If you need a word for 2023, continue. Continue steadfastly. Press on. Stay faithful. Keep serving. Don't give up. Uh, when the Lord makes it Difficult or impossible to do what you once did, find something else to do that's not so taxing. Every one of us can do this last thing that was mentioned in verse 42. We can pray. And uh, as if that was some lesser thing. <laughs> that's one of the top four things that's here, right? That's, that's mentioned uh, that they, they steadfastly continued in. So continue. Uh, number two, purpose to live a balanced Christian life. Purpose to live a balanced Christian life. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. That was important in the early church. It's important for us in, the, in our church as well. So again, purpose to live that way, balanced. Uh, I've heard Pastor Bill mention this before. I don't know if this originated down at Crown or, or it was embraced by Crown, but the idea of five to thrive. Worship God, grow in community. Again, that's the together as a family. Practice spiritual disciplines, read, study, meditate, memorize, pray, etc. As part of your daily uh, life as a believer to thrive. Serve God. Every one of us should have an area or areas that, uh, that uh, God has challenged us to serve. I, I just had lunch with a friend here at the church today who wants to serve some more. Wants to take over some things that I've been doing to try and lighten my load. And I just praise God. Not because my load gets lighter, because someone else is serving and, um, again, that's encouraging. And then share your hope. The, the fifth thing of thriving as a believer, share your hope. Don't hold on to it. Others will take notice. power of God is working through us. It was the Lord that added to the church daily. Not us, not our charisma, not our personality. It was the Lord. So share your hope. Last thing, number three. Determine to use your resources, God's resources. They're not really ours. You know what I mean there. Determined to use God's resources to help others. So do you see yourself as an owner or a steward? An owner or a steward? 
Are you hoarding when you should be helping? Turn your gaze outward. And again, no matter what age you are, whether you're young, whether you're old, turn your gaze outward. Begin praying. It's amazing how the Lord will do this when we start really praying about people we know that are in need. And we begin praying for them, pray that the Lord would meet those needs. Maybe it's a material need, maybe it's a spiritual need, whatever it may be. And we begin really taking those to the Lord. Be open to the Spirit's leadership and simply follow him by faith. Oftentimes he'll challenge us to put feet to our prayers and do something, give something that um, he has blessed us with. And you'll find great joy in helping others. Like these early church members, you'll be able to rejoice as you serve him. In fact, when we do things like that, it makes us, by a very practice, more like Christ, who over and over and over again simply gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so determine, choose, that's, that's the idea there, Make a decision to use your resources, God's resources, things that we're just stewards over, things that he's put in our care to watch over and to manage to help others. That's another thing that I've been greatly encouraged by over the years of this church, as I have seen so many people in this church that God has blessed financially and um, in big ways, and I've seen them hold very loosely to the things that God has put in their hands because they realize it's not really theirs. It's just passing through them. And God has used them because they are people who have that attitude that this, these things are not mine. I'm just a conduit, and the Lord will continue to give me things as I pass them on to help others. That's been a great blessing and encouragement to me over the years, and I've learned a tremendous amount just by observation and seeing how God intended it to be. Amen? Well, let's see here. 808. Let's do a couple questions and we'll do our prayer time. All right, for those of you that are older, I called you out. (laughs) For those of you that are older, what advice would you offer to encourage others to continue? What advice would you offer to encourage others to continue? Continue steadfastly. Ron? Okay, I'll get you later. Ron? Ron? Stay in the word daily. daily. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, I go back to learn it, love it, live it. That helps you stay in the word. When you fall away from the word, something is probably, again, out of kilter in that little formula there because... I see it over and over and over again when things get really difficult, when the problems get to be overwhelming. Those who are not living in the word, they stop reading it. They stop praying. Again, think about how foolish that is when things get difficult. The time that we most need the Lord, we turn our backs and we go the other direction. Again, we know better than that. But yet I see it happen over and over again. If you want to improve a relationship with someone that you love in your home and it's strained, you don't improve it by moving further away from them and getting quiet before them and turning your back on them. No, you have to humble yourself and go and confront and discuss and talk. The Lord says, 
cast all your care upon me. Um, come, unto me come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come unto me. Don't run from me. So those are excellent. Anything else? Advice you'd give to the younger generation to continue? Joan. So good. Age is not relevant. Yeah, age is not relevant. You may not be physically able to do what you once did, but there's still so much you can do. And the Lord will show you. Excellent. Anybody else? Other advice? Run. Memorize. Nancy? Fellowship more. Um, a soapbox I've gotten on many times, and I'll just be very brief with this. Um, Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Um, I would challenge you to live that verse out in, in your family, especially youngers. Younger ones, live it out in your family. Many of you know me. I've been around sports all my life. I've loved sports. I've coached. I've retired as an athletic director just this past year. I played high school and college sports. I mean, I've been involved all of my life. And my kids were involved in sports. But I always said church will always come first. Um, and so, again, you've heard me say many times, I'd, countless times, 50, 60 times over the course of raising my, my three kids, I'd go to a coach, whether it be rec or travel or something like that, and say, my son's going to be on your team. My daughter's going to be on your team. If you have practice or a game on Wednesday, we're not going to be there. If you have a, a, a practice or a game on Sunday, we're not going to be there. And if you have a problem for us being uh, on their team, then we'll find somewhere else to play. And we had that conversation dozens of times. And, and can I tell you, no one ever said, find somewhere else to play. They said, we'll work with you. And so, so many times we, in our mind, would would uh, generate an idea that someone will say, well, we're commi- we made this commitment, so we have to fulfill our commitment. No, make a commitment to the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Can I tell you, we, we missed many Wednesday games and many Sunday games. Can I also tell you, my kids did not miss one single thing. They know that the Lord is important. They saw, they saw us live it out, not just say it. You know, church is important, but we're going to go to the ball game. This Again, it's a soapbox, I realize that but it's advice I would offer to the younger crowd. Put the Lord first, and he will bless it. All three of my kids were very successful in their high school athletic, and even Abby playing college volleyball now. Um, Begin, they put the Lord first, because mom and dad challenged them to do that and said, here's here's how it's going to be. And um, so, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's some advice I would offer. I realize, again, that's my soapbox, but I see so many young families making mistakes there. And you've heard us say the things that parents do will only be amplified in their children. And if we say church is important, but yet we don't go, then it's not going to be important at all to our kids. And they're probably not going to go at all when they're on their own and can make their own decisions like that. All right, I'm off the soapbox now. Sorry. (laughs) But I feel pretty strongly about that. Again, I, I see it wreck many families. Anybody else? Other advice? All right, one more and then we'll move to our prayer time.
Um, talked about choosing to, to live a life that's in balance. Uh, how can our life as believers get out of balance? What are some dangers that we could avoid, we need to avoid? Be consciously aware so we don't get out of balance. I mentioned earlier sports. That's way out of balance in people's lives today. Hobbies you know, get way out of balance in our lives where we devote way too much time to our hobbies at the expense of our families, of our walk with the Lord, of our serving in the local church. Other things you would say? Ron? Materialism. Materialism. Yeah, that's a hard, that's a strong pull. Um, it's tough to drive a beater, right? When everyone else has super nice high-tech cars. That's hard. Joan? Yeah, that's good. Doing things for the wrong reason. I'm going to talk more about this in a future message, uh, but the Lord's working, still working the thoughts clearly in my mind. We, uh, we find our identity in the wrong things. Our work, uh, how good we're at, we are at doing certain things, um, our families, and none of those are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But if that's how we identify ourselves, all those things are temporal. They'll go away. Our identity needs to be found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And I think we miss that sometimes. Again, we know that, and we, could, we, we would even acknowledge that, but we don't necessarily always live it out that way. And so that's why at some point I'm going to share some messages about that, how we can make sure that we keep Christ central in our identity. Anybody else? We Ah, Yeah, absolutely. That's an excellent one. Yeah, it definitely saddens you to see the Bible unfold before our eyes. But at the same time, I rejoice because this is not my home. I love the United States of America, and I'm thankful I was born in this country, but I am a Christian way beyond being an American. And this is not my home. I'm just passing through. We're pilgrims on our way to an eternal home in heaven. And uh, praise the Lord for that. But, uh, yeah, we can get out of balance big time there. All right. I hope this has been a help to you. I know we're looking at some verses that are pretty familiar to you. You've heard probably dozens of messages on Acts chapter 2 before, but uh, so many, so much good here. And so look inward and allow the Holy Spirit, which you've been speaking about, to uh, challenge you, show you what you need to do there. Father, thank you for our time this evening. May the Spirit of God do its work in our lives. May you be glorified in these last few moments here.